welcome to the Nerd Party. It's Great Shot Kid, the podcast on the Nerd Party Network that looks at the technical, inspirational, and artistic side of filmmaking. I'm John. And I'm Mike. And we are coming to you this week with a very special episode. I know that last week we said we were going to be talking about me seeing Get Out, but as a special birthday gift to my lovely co-host, instead I watched a movie that he's been after me for literally years to watch, The Replacement Killer, starring Chow Yun-Fat and Mira Sorvino, and Jurgen Prock now, I, I, and Michael Rooker. But, and Till Schweiger. Yes, that's, that's true. That's true. I mean, it has really, in my opinion, an all-star cast. And, and uh, huh? That kid. <laughs> yes. Hey, Dad, I'm making a <laughs> shake. <laughs> As a father, I can tell you that that was not a natural conversation that one has with children. Listen to this. Yeah. No, hmm. that's, yeah. Uh, but, you know, usual diatribe. We're on the Nerd Party Network, nerdparty.com slash contact if you want to reach out to us. Go on Twitter at Joy Nerd Party. You can go ahead and reach us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Nerd Party or on Instagram at the Nerd Party. And just be sure to use the hashtag Great Shot Kid. Let us know your thoughts. But uh, th- there's going to be a little bit of a switch up here because you've been after me for, for quite some time about seeing the replacement killers because you kind of couldn't believe that I made it through the 90s without seeing it. Because I've always been an action movie fan. I was a Mira Sorvino fan. I, uh, you know, all, all of these things seem to line up. I'm a, I'm a Michael Rooker fan. Like, Michael Rooker is like a secret sauce type of thing. You say Michael Rooker's in a movie, and I'm instantly more interested in seeing it. But as I watched it, and, and as another mention, Antoine Fuqua, who's one of my favorite directors out there right now. I... I'm uncertain now, having seen it, why you wanted me to see it. Well, for one thing, let's just keep in mind that we're coming up on the 20th anniversary. Okay. okay. Which is February 6th. So, yes. Yes. Um, I, I wanted to, to mark the occasion because I, I love this movie. And, I mean, okay, so so I was a senior in high school when this came out. This came out, you know, right after Titanic. Titanic was in December, this movie came out in February and it was like one of those things where like that there's that period of time where everyone was Titanic, Titanic, Titanic. And, you know, the month of January is always crappy. And as, you know, someone who is like starving for, for content, you know, starving for new things and having just been given Titanic and Jackie Brown and, you know, tomorrow never dies and, you know, all those things. I was, I was, I wanted more, and there was nothing else out there because it was the dark times. It was the winter. Not, nothing ever gets released in the winter, and this movie was coming out. There were all these trailers. There were all these people at school who were like, uh, you know, oh, Chow Yun Fat's amazing. He's in all these John Woo movies, and how now he's coming to America. This is his first American movie. John Woo's a producer, and you know, this this movie's going to be cool. And I was not at all sold on this thing. Not at all. I mean, I was like, it it looks cool, but I, you know, and, and I remember the the commercials and the trailers and everything. So like directed by Antoine Fuqua. And I was like, who's that? You know, because he had, this is his very first movie, but I was intrigued by the fact that they would actually like name check him in the, in the advertising, which is very rare. And I'm like, basically out of boredom. 
on the Sunday after it came out, I went to the Lake Theater and they had it showing in theater number two. And I'm just like, I'm just going to watch it because why not? I, I literally have nothing else to do aside from homework. And I'm definitely not going to be doing that. So I sat Stay in there. school, kids. <laughs> so I sat there and I watched it and I was completely blown away by this movie. And I've... I, I it, it 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 was sort of like what I had been looking for for a long time. This sort of like action to the point of abstraction, where like the plot is very very simple, and you can kind of like graft these amazing set pieces onto it, and everything was just about being super cool, looking super stylized, and everything, and it was lean and mean and just cool just like the epitome of cool. And I'm like, okay, this Antoine Fuqua guy, he's something. I'm going to follow his career with great interest. And <laughs> like at that point, all he had done was like, well, he was known for like the Gangster's Paradise video for Coolio, yeah. right? And then um, he did uh, a, a, an Usher concert film which I didn't see because you, I, I had to buy it for 20 bucks at Coconuts. And I, you know, I mean, I was a fan, but like that big of a fan, I don't know. Yeah, and, I, I got to be, yeah, you, you, you got to be like next level fan to buy the concert film. Like right. you, you, there, I think there's only one or maybe two bands where I've even watched concert films of theirs. Uh, and, and one of them was The Doors and the other was uh, Rolling Stones. Yeah, I mean, there's some good one, like Gimme Shelter for Rolling Stones. It's like, okay, but this there's like a lot more going on in that documentary than just the Rolling Stones performing. Yes, you, you know very what I mean? true, very true. So so it's like, okay, yeah, that's that's fair, and that, that's cool and everything, but like this, nah, maybe maybe not. Maybe, maybe I'm not that in love with Antoine Fuqua. The only other thing that he did, which I didn't see for years, uh, was um, an episode of this sort of like, well, I guess it's kind of like the Playboy Channel's version of the Twilight Zone called Inside Out. I had no idea that they had such a... I mean, I, I knew of the channel, but I didn't <laughs> know that they had this show. It's crazy. Like, you look at the people who worked on that show now. I mean, there's like numerous Oscar winners who worked on that show. Antoine Fuqua is there. Alexander Payne, the guy who did, you know election in nebraska and everything he did a few things sam raimi worked on the show um and he was already known and uh, uh some music video directors who were fairly prominent like the guy who did like all of britney spears's early music videos was on it so have they ever released that yeah they, they really? released them well i originally well originally they were on tape but i i at one point, I had them on Laserdisc, and now I actually do have the DVD sitting over there. They're, That's I mean, fascinating. Like, Fuqua's segment, it's not very good. It's kind of just sort of like your straight up kind of, I mean, it's only like 20 minutes long or something like that. And it's basically sort of like a micro, like typical sort of like, you know, erotic thriller and sort of like the Paul Verhoeven sense, you know. It, so wait, so wait a minute. This series was this series like a saucy series, or was this a series that, by today's standards, would have been would be on Showtime or something like that? It's yeah. It, it's like it's nothing that like. There's probably 
a lot worse stuff in almost every episode of Game of Thrones, you know? But, like, everything gotcha. was definitely sort of, like, you know, sexualized. There was always that element to it where, you know... But but some of the... Like, the Sam Raimi one, from what I remember, it was, like... And, and he didn't direct it. He, like, photographed one. And Ted Raimi is in it, which is like, okay, yeah, sure, why not? That's kind you of know? mind-bending, but okay. It's, it's, it's like, you know... I mean, like, the, the Alexander Payne ones... I mean, there's like one which was done in in one shot, and it, it it's really sort of like playing with the idea of like, oh yeah, this is supposed to be like really erotic, but it's like so over the top goofy that you know it's by no means supposed to be titillating. It's supposed to be basically making fun of of that, you know, and everything. And and I mean, it's that some of them are really well done and some of them are absolute garbage in terms of the the acting talent that they drew on um did they go to outside casting agencies or were it, they you know th- th- casting from the home base so to speak it's it's what you would kind of expect to see uh, in like a cinemax movie you know, gotcha. I mean, some some of the, the scenes, some of the sequences probably had more talented. I mean, Ted Raimi, okay, you know, but you know, like the 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 acting in Fuqua's sequence, it's a little, you know, it it feels very soap opera y. You know, like that's basically kind of like the the level that I would say it's at. Shot on tape, I'm guessing. No, it was shot on film. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, that's actually kind of surprising. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. No. It was. It was. It's a pretty high quality production, you know. And I mean, it's worth checking out just for like the novelty of it, you know, more than anything. Just, I mean, like, like with Fuqua, it's like, well, this is where he got his start. Like, this is the first time, as far as I can tell, that he was doing some sort of like narrative filmmaking, you know, because he did music videos. Yes, he's developing his visuals, concert films. You know, um, he's you know doing whatever he's doing, but here, you know, it's like he's telling a story, you know, and. It's not a very good story, and but you can see kind of like I mean, if anything, like you can see like the photography is pretty decent and everything, given you know sort of the what he had to work with. But it's it's now weird. see I, I I I I'm glad you mentioned the the photography because one of the things I caught with with replacement killers was is this a function of the transfer? Because while I was watching it, I was less than impressed with what it looked like i mean it looked like early i I, it did like there were certain parts which looked like they were shot on like you know you know uh uh, high quality video or something like that like they did not come the lighting did not come across well in i'd say about half of the film i don't know i think the video transfer is really really bad i'm sure it's the same video transfer that they made in in 1998 or whatever it is because, yeah, I mean, you could definitely see, like, a lot of, like, almost analog artifacts. It was almost like there was some fuzziness to it. But, I mean, in terms of, like, the lighting and everything, like, it was shot in Super 35, so it would have been a very grainy movie. Um, but I always loved the photography. I loved the use of color and, and the lighting and everything. I mean, that's one of the things which really stands out to me. See, I, I, th- there were certain sequences that I did think were great that I thought really played well. And there were other ones that just, and I was left with such an impression of a, 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 an uneven experience that I looked up 
you know, the, the behind the scenes stuff that's out there online, a couple of pages on it. And apparently there, there are like whole subplots cut from this. Yeah. Like there's a romantic subplot between Chow Yun Fat and Mira Sorvino that is excised. There's barely a hint of it. There's a, a tiny hint because they have like, you know, leading up to in certain moments, but they never ever like the closest you get is at the end when she gives like a knowing look to him after she saves him by hitting a guy with a truck sort of thing, you yeah. know? And that was one of the things where, you know, since it was his first movie, and I think this is probably common now too, but you don't hear about it as much. But back then, you know, I mean, there's no way that a, a first-time director is going to get final cut on a movie, right? But, um, you know, there, there were a number of sequences which were chopped out of the movie. Uh, I guess there was a lot of stuff with the antagonist and I think his son that was cut out. And um, they did release an extended, unrated version, you know, later on down the line, which unfortunately is the only way you can get it on Blu-ray, um, where they added like 17 minutes of footage. And it's cool because you can see like a lot of those subplots and everything, but the way that they're stuck back into the movie is terrible. Like literally, like they had the movie and they just like stuck this in and like the music cues don't line up and like the editing is like really clunky. And there's some moments, just some sort of like flashy moments where it's just like, okay, they cut that out, not to save time or anything, but just because they watched it and were like, this is really bad. This doesn't work at all, you know? So it's by no means like a director's cut. And, and I really do think that like the theatrical cut is probably at least, you know, something that that sort of resembles what he was working on even though he said like you know I really miss some of the stuff that was cut out I really wish that it was stuck back in but I don't think that he would approve of the extended cut as is because it's so clunky it's just it's it's very very I, awkward to watch but the thing is I that's my impression with the theatrical cut is that it too is clunky like I th- there are I was aware of, you know, John Woo and that sort of rising influence coming across. You know, I I watched Hard Boiled and there was some other film that I watched or whatever, you know. And if anybody hasn't seen Hard Boiled, um, the main characters in that are their names are vodka and tequila. And that was, you know, I mean, because, you know, the, the Hong Kong action genre was just. You know, it was all about those big set pieces. And my impression with replacement killers is that this is one of those things where they said, okay, let's take this hot thing, this hot property that's going on, and let's bring one of the iconic actors of it, Chow Yun Fat, over. But then somebody with American cultural sensibilities makes the movie, and so it doesn't mesh as well and what's interesting is like almost as a thought experiment now I want to go back and get the John Woo American movies from that era and see like I think there's almost an interesting thought experiment that can happen not thought experiment but like sociological sort of thing where you can sit down and you can say okay this is what went wrong when somebody from the Hong Kong industry came over and tried to make a movie in America and this is what went wrong when somebody in America tried to make a Hong Kong type of movie and where are the similarities and what misfired and where are the differences sort of thing. Yeah, I mean I I, I think 
I don't know. I I really like you know the the way that that this movie is is photographed and everything. But I, I mean, I definitely do think that Fuqua was like, okay, I need to try to make a John Woo movie, you know, because that's what people are are expecting. And you do see like a lot of those elements, you know, with the you know two guns, you know, or like people you know, pointing their guns at each other as they're both empty, you know, and then needing to reload and all that stuff. Um, and, and, and it's, I think it's really interesting kind of like tracking his career and seeing how his style changes. I mean, his very next movie after this was bait with Jamie Foxx, which I was there opening day first show. I couldn't wait. I'm like, this is going to be amazing. And it's not a tremendously good movie. It's kind of okay, but it is sort of like an action comedy and it it's kind of there's like certain scenes there's certain elements and shots and everything which you can kind of see flow through all of his movies you know from from this to bait to training day to tears of the sun but there's other things that that definitely change and i think that he didn't really find his voice until training day like training day is sort of like pure unfiltered fuqua and yeah you know, as much as I love replacement killers, as much as I kind of, you know, am a champion of this movie, and it's my favorite in a sense, I think, because, I, you know, I, I feel that, that sort of, like, sense of, like, discovery, and, and that's one of the reasons why I think Fuke was one of my absolute favorite all-time filmmakers is because I was like, I'm, like, I saw that movie opening weekend, and I'm like, this is my guy, and I'm going to follow him. And it took me, you know, years until I could see the next movie. But now, you know, here we are 20 years later, and, you know, every single one of his movies, I've seen the very first show on opening day. And, you know, it, it's like training day, I think, is where he really came into his, I don't think that I'm, you know, shocking you know, anyone by saying this. I, you know. I have I have a question though. Like given the troubled history, uh, you know, and they they even brought in I forget the name of the first producer they brought in to try to quiet things down because they were they were nervous about you know him losing control of the production sort of thing, and that caused more problems. Deborah Hill comes in. There's very like it's a very different way of dealing with things than we're used to seeing now in the Disney era. Yeah. You know where we're used to. We are we are accustomed to seeing directors get fired for whatever reason. You know, everybody always thinks everybody's the greatest great creative collaborator in the history of the world, but we just didn't get along, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But like, it's it's fascinating to me because I think that that in and of itself is would would Fuqua and am I mispronouncing? Is it Fuqua? Have I been mispronouncing it? I'm not sure. I think it's Fuqua, but I've heard both. Okay. I don't know. Well, Tony, as I like to call him, <laughs> I wonder if in today's environment he gets the chance to move on. Like he has this troubled production with replacement killers. And as much as I'm sitting here sort of like, well, this didn't work, that you know, and I didn't like this, there were still elements of it where I, I saw I saw what was coming and why I like him now. Like I could see certain things where I was like, okay, when it clicked, I was like, I see it. I got it. I see where he's gonna go. And I know, you know, the benefits of hindsight sort of thing. But does he get that chance now? I don't know. I mean, the the path is so different these days, right? I mean, I think, like, if he's, you know, a hotshot music video director, just like he was back then, 
you know, I don't necessarily know that they give him, I mean, back then it was all about like, I mean, that's where they found their talent. I mean, that's where all those guys came from, like Michael Bay, you know, everything. It was all commercials and, and music videos. That's, you know, Spike Jones, you know, David Fincher, like all those guys, that was sort of like the thing, like, let's go to the, you know, and I mean, that's really changed. And, and, and sort of like the thing that they would do is like, okay, let's give them this little action movie and see what happens. Right. Whereas like now, I, I don't know. I mean, I could, I could be misreading this, but I, I get the, the impression that guys like that are just sort of like, it's like, well, let's, you know, give him some, some, or, you know, he, they will raise money to make something on their own and essentially do like a, a little like micro budget movie, maybe an action movie and take it around the festival circuit, you know, have it get picked up by Netflix or something. And then, you know, once that explodes, that leads to something more. So it's almost like they aren't dealing with the studio the first time out there. De- I mean, and that's what we're seeing with like yeah. Gareth Edwards and, and everything. Like they make, you know, the small indie movie and then they get the big studio thing. And that's when it all collapses, you know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and the film people. is still taken away and producers show up and recut everything and reshoot things and stuff right. like that. So, you know, Whereas I, I think the thing back then was like, this guy is a visionary. Let's give him a movie. And then, you know, they let him do their thing or whatever and then in the editing room it's like okay let's just cut all this stuff out and then what they release is sort of like a chopped up version of of their original vision so you're saying that the the intercession point is earlier in the process now maybe i I don't know maybe that maybe that's just a function of the production timeline because you're you're shooting digitally and so your dailies are coming around faster, and so you're seeing the finished product, and so you're seeing the things being edited in real time. That's true. And so it's giving them an earlier entry point to take over the process if they don't like what's happening. Um, so, okay. But if he's if he's volatile enough, as he was then, to fight the first producer that comes in to try to fix the situation, and then to bring in a second one, like there's... I, I don't know. I just... I. You know, I think nowadays he just Ron Howard comes in and reshoots replacement killers for him. So, you know, that's yeah. you know what what what's what's likely uh, to happen. I one thing that I think is absolutely fascinating about it is that Chow Yun Fat did not have a mastery of the English language when he shot this film, and he spoke Cantonese and a little Mandarin, and uh, Mira Sorvino apparently is fluent in Mandarin. And she would translate for him so that, you know, like the direction and stuff like that, she could make it, you know, more, uh, more fluid for him. Um, Which I think, which I think is really cool because Tarantino is the one that told her, you got to work with him. You got to work with him. This is Chow Yun-Fat. And of course it's Tarantino that knows who he is. Oh yeah. You know. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's like, I think almost all of his dialogue was, um, you know, redubbed in in post-production because like on those new added sequences where you know they had cut them out so early that they weren't doing like adr for his dialogue or whatever you can definitely tell you know like they're using like the on-set dialogue you can definitely tell that you know he's you know he doesn't speak english you know i mean or or, you know he doesn't speak much english at all 
you know, and that, that is something that which was all kind of like refined in, in post-production. Because, um, I mean, yeah, this was his very first American movie. And it's crazy to see how his career... And it's weird because, like, it was almost like he was sort of, like... He was so known for, for these, like, amazing action movies over in, you know, Hong Kong that when he came here, it was almost like, well, he's an actor, but his movies are going to be, you know, st- like almost like Jackie Chan, you know? Like, he has that sort of, like... You know, or 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 any, I mean, or Arnold Schwarzenegger or anybody, where it's like there's a certain type of action, and we can expect that. And then when he did his next movie, The Corrupter, which came out, you know, like later on that year, I think I was like, I have to go to this on opening day too because this could be even better. It looks like it's going to be even better, and it wasn't. It was a lot worse, but <laughs> but he certainly found his his place in. Uh, American cinema as well, you know, I mean, with Anna and the King and then, you know, later on with the Pirates of the Caribbean and everything like that. Yeah. Like he's, yeah. yeah. So. Well, so, okay. So, so at the end of the day, you still recommend replacement killers for everybody, but with the caveat that you understand you're looking through the filter of an emotional attachment that maybe not everybody has. Well, yeah, but I mean, like before I would be like, this is a masterpiece. And now I'm like, this movie is excellent, you know? So it's not, I mean, yes, my my opinion of it may be, you know, uh, altered a little bit through, you know, history or whatever, nostalgia or whatever, but I still think that it's an amazing movie. I mean, I put it, I was, at the time, I was like really going back and forth, and, and I think I ended up putting it at number one on my top 10 list for 1998. And now I wouldn't do that. I'd, I'd put the big Lebowski at number one for sure. But replacement killers would definitely be top five for sure. You know, I mean, out of sight, number two, uh, replacement killers off the top of my head, I think would be number three, you know? Well, I, you know, I, I can't um, agree, but I, I can also understand I, I, you know, I, I can understand. I, you know, th- this is one of those films where I think that it can it can break either way easily. And again, like as much as I'm not, you know, as enamored of it, I can easily point to several scenes where I'm like, there, that is the magic coming through. Oh, there, that's the magic coming through. So, I definitely think it's worth a watch. But I would definitely put the caveat not to expect, you know, greatness. Just you know, expect a good movie. You know. It's, enjoyable enough uh to to do and um also short enough that if you don't like it it's not going to take a lot out of your time uh to to see it so but if people want to uh talk to you about your your top 10 list of 1998 and your stance on replacement killers mike where can they find you online uh well you can find me on uh twitter at mumbles 3k and you can also find me on um well you could find me on letterboxd at mumbles 3k where i have my my historical you know lists from 1998 uh, if you if you if you look over there and uh, you can yeah. find me on uh, trek.fm doing a show called the edge and another show on trek.fm called stage nine with you yes we do stage nine over on trek fm i also co-host words with nerds with my pal craig and uh, also uh, right here, I uh, co-host Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing. And if you want to look me up online, I am Kessel Junkie. 
unless you don't like what I'm saying, and then I'm no one. So uh, with all of that said, even though it's been delayed yet another week, we promise you that next week you will be getting a Lifetime Horror Fans hot take first reaction to the Oscar-nominated best film, Get Out. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.